so you you know this is true. When most people think of radio, they think about a DJ, right? I'm talking about citizens, not people in the radio business. Citizens. Of course, for most of us in the radio business, we think of programming, sales, management, everything from remotes to production to appearances. But there's a whole other side and includes a serious reduction in commercials and what is well known as development, which is something that I really, from time to time, like to focus on because I really respect people who can do development well. That's where we are headed in this episode. You're going to hear and learn some things that you may not know. Welcome to the Radio Rally on Clubhouse. What you're about to hear will be focused on lifting you up, giving you good advice, hearing stories of an amazing radio pro, and uncovering the path forward in radio right now. Many local broadcasters today discover that they need programming services, and we help them find out that they are affordable. My name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. We help local broadcasters make more money by being a programming partner who can fully develop the right position for any local brand or brand or brands, coach local morning shows and other talents, design and execute station architecture, provide weekly music updates, and even produce daily music logs, provide excellent voice trackers, sales and promotional ideas that move the revenue needle, and a lot more. We're confidential and market exclusive for radio. You've got a challenge that gets in the way of your revenue. You've got a competitor who gets in the way of those extra ratings that you know really belong to you. Reach out anytime, F-O-R-D at Rainmaker pathway.com. How can we help you? Today's live event will be a podcast called The Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, and will become available soon after the end of this live event, wherever you get your podcast. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. You know, you can meet our guests live on the Clubhouse app, or you can subscribe directly to the podcast to make sure you don't miss a thing. The Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast is on Apple, Audible, Spotify, almost anywhere that you get your podcast. So you've got to be asking, what is it that's going to happen on this live event? Uh, Joey Cohen, president and general manager of KNKX and Jazz24 in Seattle, Washington is with us. We're going to learn some things from him. Before we get to him, though, I want to share with you next Monday's preview on the Radio Rally. We do have a treat uh, next week. Robbie Bridges, Director of Programming for Press Communications, WWZY, WBH. X in New Jersey, and uh, he's also a morning co-host, so we'll get a lot of different information about what's happening in New Jersey radio, and you'll want to be here for that because I promise there'll be things that you can learn. Of course, we do have guests every single week on the Radio Rally. You can see our full guest calendar going forward all the way into July right now, uh, 2022, in our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com. By the way, and that's also where you can learn about our upcoming Q3 sales event for radio, including special guests that will help you squeeze more sales 
out of 2022. That translates into revenue, of course, as you know. Tell your sales manager and market manager the event is July 7th. We'll have more details soon, including who the guests are going to be for that, and you don't want to miss it. We also have additional encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series, and even more encouragement for local radio sellers with our Encouraging Sales Success Series, as well as free resources for anyone in radio today at RainmakerPathway.com. Of course, we do not lock away anything on our site the way some consultants do, because we do believe in the theory of abundance. Ask me about it sometimes. I'd love to share it with you. So go to RainmakerPathway.com anytime. See what you can get for free from our team. Today's guest, President and General Manager of 88.5 FM KNKX, uh, the Jazz, Blues, and NPR news station in Seattle and the Northwest, and Jazz 24, the most listened to online public radio stream in the United States. By the way, he has led a community effort to raise over $7 million in 137 days to save 88.5 FM and then uh, launched as an independent station, KNKX, on August 31st, 2016. I hope I'm getting these dates right. He manages an annual operating budget of $9 million. And of course, he has led a campaign to build state-of-the-art studios and community interactive space in Tacoma's theater district. Kind of cool. He is consistently responsible to create revenue through donor relationships, pledge drives, grants, and business support. It's time for our visit with Joey Cohen. And Joey, uh, welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally. How are you, sir? Hey, Lloyd. Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so exciting to have you. I mean, listen to all that stuff you're doing, man. Oh, my God. So <laughs> can, can we start from the beginning? Is the beginning of radio for you uh, – uh, well, how did you come to the radio business? Let's just start there. I was a student at the University of Arizona in Tucson. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my career. My dad said, why don't you just take a whole bunch of different classes and see what you like? I found that I really enjoyed the speech communications classes. I just sure. found they were very interesting. And I thought the professors were entertaining and, and also interesting. So I just took more and more of those type of classes and realized that I might want to go into broadcasting, either in radio or television. So uh, what I did was I walked into the public radio station on the campus of uh, the University of Arizona. The call letters are KUAT. And I think you'll relate to this story. But I met with the program director, and I thought they were going to have me sweeping the floors or, you know, rewinding tapes when there were tapes. And I walked in and he gave me some copy to read and took me into the production room and recorded me on the spot and then said, do you know anything about jazz? And I did. And he hired me to be an on-air jazz host. 
with absolutely zero experience. And I was horrible for a long time, but that's how I got my start. Well, that's the way it works. And you were DJ Jazzy Joey, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. So, yeah. so listen, you attended the University of Arizona, as you said, speech and communications, but broadcast was your minor, correct? Yeah, that's right. And, and did you, did you just have this idea? I'm going to be in the speech area before radio kind of, you know, that bell went off in your head. Well, what it was is that, you know, I was taking these, um, classes, these speech communications, oral interpretation, uh, just uh, classes where they would dissect famous speeches, you know, like the Gettysburg Address, for example. And um, I just found that this information, it just clicked with me and it just seemed very interesting. So, so as I, so, yeah, go ahead. So, so listen, so you, your direction was really influenced for your career through what you experienced right there at the University of Arizona. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Did you have thoughts about uh, the commercial side or now that I know this, if you, by the way, if you didn't tune in for the pregame show, which we had before this, we got to learn a little bit about before public radio, before, before that side of the business. I want to know about your thoughts about the commercial side is that what you were thinking? I'm going to go into commercial radio and you actually did that first. You didn't think about public, the public side. Well, um, because I was a student at the university and it had a public station on campus and I knew that they hired students. Um, I started there. It was just the obvious place for me to go. Mm -hmm. um, but during that time I was listening to commercial radio I was listening to the rock stations and, um, you know, I was a big fan of what they were doing in Tucson. What, what happened was um, while I was a student and I was playing jazz on the uh, NPR affiliate, I knew when I graduated that I wanted to get into commercial rock radio. That was my plan. Ah, interesting. And so right there, we get a little picture of the young you. I, I, I'm going to I'm going to change up here and talk about the non-commercial side for a minute. Look, you have a long perspective of that now, uh, having appeared on both sides. What is really special about the non-commercial side of the business today? Well, I, I think for us, it's all about the community mm -hmm. and it's all about being in service to the community, being a resource, making the local community a better place through our programming. And by that, I mean, we have a news department and we're telling the stories of people in the community, uh, the important issues that are going on. We also play jazz and blues. And so it's making a commitment to the local music scene and highlighting the uh, musicians. It's also supporting uh, students, you know, that are playing jazz and mm -hmm. Seattle has a, a very strong, um, high school jazz program. So, so the gist of it really is our focus is our connection, our relationship and our service to the community. Yeah. I gotta ask this question and I need to point this out first. We are encouragers here in a group called the encouragers on clubhouse. So not just a podcast, we do this too. And, and I want to make sure that 
I'm not misunderstood here. I'm not not being encouraging by this, but I'm going to ask this question. Do you feel like you have a lot of competition from commercial radio in terms of having an impact on community? I think that Cairo Radio in Seattle, K-I-R-O, you mm-hmm. know, they've been in this market for a long time. Oh, yeah. And I think they do have an impact on the community. Um, Seattle is one of the best non-commercial radio markets in the country. And we so we have some really strong um, performing stations. We have another NPR affiliate in town. We have a triple A station mm-hmm. and we have a class and we have a classical station and those stations are also very committed to the community. Right. So, um, I, I mean, I'll, you know, our competition, if you look at Nielsen ratings mm-hmm. is a not, is a number of stations, but it'll be, I mean, there's, you know, three or four commercial stations that we compete with. And, you know, three or four public stations that we can compete with. Well, too. and let me say this, because I, I, I want to know this from you, because you introduced that this is a really rich market for that. Did that develop because there were uh, visionary people in non-com side of the business? Or did it develop because there are amazing listeners? Or was it a combination of those things? I think it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. The predominant factor to determine if someone is an NPR listener is education. So the, the, the cliche um, for public stations and specifically stations that are NPR affiliates around the country, the cliche in describing the audience is boomers with brains and bucks. Oh, lots of, uh, uh, qualitative information there <laughs> so so listen uh, how often because this is interesting i think for everybody and this is a this might serve as a lesson for everybody too how often do you look at or review your overall impact on the community or do you do that formally as as a radio station well um i, I mean there's a lot of different ways to measure it of course you know I mentioned Nielsen ratings. We have our fun drives. Mm-hmm. We do station events and we uh, track, you know, with COVID, everything's different. But, oh, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, basically for us, it, our measurements, we look at how we're engaging with our audience on air, online, and in person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, have metrics for all three of those areas. Um, but then, you know, we're in the midst of doing some strategic planning. So we've conducted a lot of focus groups and heard a lot of feedback about what we're doing. And, um, you know, I would just summarize it by saying, you know, it's about our relationship with the audience. And we feel that we have a strong relationship with them, you know, based on what they've told us. Um, One of the things that we heard recently was our audience described us as that they were not members of the station, but they felt like they were owners of the station. Oh, you've got good relationships there, don't you? And and I say that because, Lloyd, you had mentioned about our campaign to purchase the station and make it an uh, independent community station. And the fact that um, we had over 20,000 people 
donate over $7 million in about four and a half months, uh, I mean, that was a true indicator that, um, you know, the community uh, does care about the station. Well, that the radio station is important to them. And and look, fundraising or development takes some really special persons, right? Not, I mean, doesn't it, it takes special people to really do that well, that work? Well, I think, um, you know, I, I keep using the word relationship, but I think, you know, whether you're talking about the community or an individual, Right. You're still talking about your relationship with individuals and with the community. I, I think people that are in development and they're fundraising, um, I, the most successful people that I see are people that just enjoy other people. Um, mm. They're interested. They're interested in other people. Um, they're generally pretty positive people, and you know they just. Um, you know, enjoy the the interaction. Um, you know, I don't know if that I don't know if that answers no, your question. No. no, I think this entire line of questioning is very uh, descriptive for us, and I think even sellers of commercial radio could learn mm -hmm. a lot from this. You keep going back to relationship, 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 and I see. You know, I mean, look, there's always talk like. Oh, you know, radio's over. Radio's going to be over. But how can any of that be true if you're taking care of your relationships? Yeah, and I, and I think you know, um, radio is just one delivery system of what we do. I I uh, think of I think of us as is our I think about our mission and our you know and our purpose and our mission and our purpose is is to tell stories about the community. Yes. To to tell stories about the music that we play, because, you know, I reference boomers with brains and box and Seattle being a public radio town. And the main reason for that is because it's a very educated audience. So they want to learn. They want it's about lifelong learning. They want to learn whether it's news or it's music. Um, when it comes to music, they want to learn about the artists. And um, so, uh, you know, it's it's knowing in our relationship with the audience, that that's, um, that's a key value that our listeners hold is, is the, the value of, uh, ongoing, uh, well, and you've got to know education. that every, yeah, every day you come to work, you know, you've got to bring it. You're on air. People have to bring it. You have to bring things to that relationship pretty consistently, right? Yeah. You know, you, you've got to keep creating. That's the thing about radio. You know, it's, right. it, I think it's a great business because, you're in the creative business, you know, yes. and um, there's I, I mean, I, that's where I think it's really fun. I really think the funnest job in radio is being on the air, mm. you, you know, because the performance aspect and relating to the audience and and playing the music. I mean, that's where I always have the most fun. Well, I, I'm going to go back to this again and try this another way. We all know that top flight pros usually come with a philosophy or a structure for their work. For those of us who may not be used to the world of raising money, could you give us maybe some quick fundamentals about development? Well, I think that um, um, – you, I, know I know you're going to talk about relationship. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. But I, you know, you're we're, we're not doing cold calls. Right. Um, 
you know, we're talking to people that are current donors. Uh, I, I think a big part of it is being as familiar as you can with your with your listeners. Um, I mean, to really break it down technically, uh, I have a donor base of about 50 people that I have a, here comes the R word, that I have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. And so I'm focused on those 50 people. Um, and I, I need to get to know them. And the more I know about them, um, the more I can relate what the station does to them on a personal level. So I, I think a lot of the fundraising is is knowing the people that you're talking to. Well, and just so that I'm clear here, because I kind of chuckled a little bit there, when I talk about you and the word relationship, I do it only from an admiration standpoint, because I do believe strongly that no matter what kind of role you're in in radio, your relationship is the value of your brand. Well, yeah. I mean, think about listeners. Why do they choose your station? They choose your station because they have a connection to the people in the programs on the air. That's right. I mean, that's why we were, that's why the community saved us. We kept hearing, we kept hearing that over and over again. They saved us because we felt like friends or family to them. Well, and some people might say that you saved it too. You spent almost nine years as the program director launching the music education and mentoring program. I want to know how that came about and why it was important. Well, the jazz, I mean, jazz is an interesting music for me because it's been around for many decades and there's a lot of interesting personalities. Mm. Um, And so you look back at the, the history of jazz quite a bit. Um, because it has such an interesting past. But at the same time, I thought, you know, let's look ahead too. Let's not only focus on the emerging artists today, but what about the students? You know, let's support the jazz programs in the schools. I mean, for one reason, it kind of like builds future listeners for the radio station. It sure does. So we uh, we brought in student groups to perform live on the air. We and the days when there were compact discs, we made CDs. We recorded all the bands. We put together compilation CDs, and we gave those to the schools. And I sold them as fundraisers for the music school programs. Nice. We worked with hundreds of students and raised about ninety thousand dollars for for the high school music programs. This is crazy what you're describing. Now you're getting some details where we can see the brilliance of putting these plans together. We, we have no idea how you, maybe you started with a strategy. I don't know. Maybe it just came to you. But that's some really cool uh, networking at the ground level, right? Well, and it's, you know, again, it comes down to that commitment to the community. And, of course, the parents love it you know, that their kids are being highlighted. And then the kids love it because they come into a professional recording studio and they get like a time capsule of their performance. And what's not to like, right? The other thing they do is we bring in high school students and let them guest DJ for an hour. Really? Nice. So Yeah, so the the high school students will come in, they'll bring their music, the the jazz that they want to play for an hour. They'll talk about why they selected those selections and – They'll talk about what jazz means to them. Do they make good choices? I mean, what's that like, right? You're yeah. 
They, um, I mean, what I've seen is either they'll choose classic selections mm-hmm. or they'll go way out and choose um, highly improvisational jazz or jazz that's very cutting edge. That's all right, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, that's the whole basis of jazz anyway. It's like you can change it to whatever. So That's right. So look, you know, you touched on this for just, you just kind of barely touched on it earlier, and I'm going to bring it back. When did you know that digital was going to play a really important role in, let's call it the future, and how have you all managed that across time in Seattle? We were partnering with Microsoft since, you know, Microsoft is in the Seattle area. A lot of the Microsoft, yeah, you might know that. Um, A lot of the Microsoft employees listened to the station and um, were interested in what we were doing digitally. And they used to feature us on the Microsoft player way back in the day. So we had some early interest there. We also worked with real networks, which... Mm -hmm. You have to go way back, but they were a leader in audio technology uh, digitally. And um, so we had some early forays with uh, you know the local uh, companies, Microsoft. It's funny to even say they're local because they're, yeah, they're, so, they're, they're, they're worldwide. And yeah, they're known, protected. right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so that was encouraging. Um, to have those meetings and partnerships. But for us, one of our biggest success stories was that we said, why don't we put together a 24-7, a full-time jazz stream? Because KNKX, or back then we were KPLU, was really a... You're getting ahead of me now, because my next question for you is about that. Why has Jazz 24 become the most listened to online public radio stream in the U.S.? Now I'm caught up. Okay. I I think for a couple of reasons. One, most local communities don't have a jazz station. That's right. So if somebody's looking for jazz, they can't find it locally. So I I think that's number one. Uh, Jazz 24, 90% of the people who listen to that stream uh, actually live outside of the Puget Sound area, Puget Sound, Seattle, Tacoma, Olympia right. area. Right. So Jazz 24, in a lot of ways, is an export for us. Um, for example, outside of the United States, the second country with the largest listenership to Jazz 24 is Japan. So we've been able to build a global audience for the music. And, and that's, then, look, yeah. that's really special, right? That puts you in a special category, I think. Like, we look, we had the uh, general manager or market manager for WTOP on, and then we had a sales mm-hmm. manager, and they talk about some of the untraditional things that they're doing with WTOP. And I don't know if you're as familiar with them as uh, most of us in commercial radio are. They are serious revenue generators. As a matter of fact, not only are they the top revenue generator in commercial radio in the U.S., but their lead is like $45 million over the number two station. Hmm. but they they do things that are focused on development that are focused around politics mm-hmm. that are focused around connecting with 
people who you who are really highly valued as an audience, putting people in front of those people. And here you have something totally on the other side of the country that is totally unique and is is developing a larger and larger, I, I would say, uh, certainly uh, in the U.S., but but also some global audience that's pretty significant, right? Yeah. Um, we have, uh, last time I looked, 400,000 listeners a month to Jazz24. It's more than pays for itself. We do a couple of fun drives a, a year, so it, it – um, it, ge- it generates revenue through membership, just like our terrestrial signal so, does. So, no, wait. So, do you do people check? Yeah, yeah. We get uh, donations. Like, oh gosh, I forget the number, but you know, yeah. sorry, over a, over a hundred countries contribute to Jazz Twenty Four. What a blessing the- in your life! Would you say that that came? Did that come from you? Was that a magic moment, or did it? What? How did that? What would you say caused that to happen? I, I think I think it was two things. Um, again, the first thing is that people didn't have a local station, so they went right. online in search of jazz. The second thing is that we got a grant to advertise Jazz 24. Oh. So if you go to Google and type in something like listen to jazz online mm-hmm. or listen mm-hmm. to jazz, free, free jazz, jazz that's free online. Yes. Um, I haven't done this for a while, but see if Jazz 24 comes up like, you know, on the first page of your search. Sure. But we just, it just started to grow. You know how things grow online. It's just the word started to spread and it just, you know, became, um, you know, it just, it just became a top choice for people who just wanted to stream jazz. Well, it sounded like you were doing something really valuable and people caught on to it. Yeah, I think so. And one of the things that we've learned is that um, to really make it music intensive, I mean, not to the point where it's like Spotify, mm-hmm. uh, because people do want companionship. They, they do, do. want to. They do. They want to be guided by someone, you know, especially a genre like jazz. It's like um, because people a lot of people will say, well, I like jazz, but I'm not an expert. And I say you you do not have to be an expert. We don't care if you're an expert or not. We just care that you enjoy the music. Um, so, you know, having having the people on the air, you know, to, to guide uh, listeners through the music, but probably 90% easily of the listening experience is music. Nice. Okay, so in doing a little research on you, I, I feel like I've watched you rise steadily from program director to program and new media director, and then to director of content and assistant general manager. Were you cutting a path to being the, the president and general manager? Was that your plan or did you grow into that ambition or did it just happen to you? I think I grew into it. I, like when I first got into radio, I just wanted to be on the air. Right. And, uh, you know, I wanted to maybe do mornings or afternoon drive, but I was just focused on, on, on being on the air and presenting the music. Uh, that was a lot of fun for me. Right. But after, oh, maybe about five years, I decided that I wanted to be a program director mm. because I found that I was interested in all different aspects of radio, not just on air. 
Right. And so when there was an opening for a program, the program director job, I, I applied for it. And then after doing that job for a few years, my uh, general manager took a leave of absence. Um, oh. And he, he, he had to take some medical time off. And um, I, so he put me in charge, you know, the station while he was out for six months. <clears throat> and so during that six month period, I realized, oh, okay, I think I want to be a general manager because it gave me even more oversight of even more areas. And again, right. I was just kind of, I think I'm, I'm like you in that respect, Lloyd, I consider myself a student of radio. So I just uh, was interested in the general manager job because it was, it was more to learn. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and I also would have more impact over the direction of the station in that chair. My gosh, here's the question. Did it ever scare you? Did you ever go, oh, my God, can I do this? Not really, to be honest with you. What's, mm -hmm. what, has scare, what scares me all the time, I mean, what scared me is when we needed to raise $7 million in six months. No kidding, right? to save the station that caused a lot that caused a lot of high anxiety and i'm scared all the time you know when it comes to fundraising we're 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 in another capital campaign because we're going to move into a new facility in pipe place market if you know right. pipe place market in seattle uh -huh. um so you know that's 5.5 million dollars so there's other things that scare me uh, certainly mm -hmm. Um, you know, after this conversation, you and I are going to have a private conversation about somebody I know who does this kind of work all the time in a totally different way. And it's going to blow your mind. But listen, I, I want to know about this. When people are not as familiar with public radio. Now, listen to what I'm saying. Uh, maybe they don't they're not as familiar with public radio as they think they are. What often surprises them about you, your job? or all that you're responsible for in Seattle? Because you've got a lot going on. Huh, that's a good question. Um, I think sometimes people are surprised, like how large our news department is. Yeah. Um, because it's it's 15 people, um, and we have about 60 people, that six zero, 60 people that work at the station. Um, I think they're surprised to hear that we have two studios, uh, one in Seattle and one in Tacoma. Um, I think sometimes sometimes they're surprised about how much coverage we have. Uh, we actually have the largest radio footprint in Western Washington. We cover from Vancouver, British Columbia to Vancouver, Washington. Hmm. Um, yeah. That's a blessing for you, too, by the way. Oh, yeah, totally. That will get a lot of attention, as will I, suddenly I have to raise $7 million in what period of time? Those things get your attention right away. So listen, do you have advice for somebody who wants to follow in your footsteps? If you've got advice like that, now's the time to give it up because it will go on our podcast and people will be able to hear, okay, this is how you do it. Well, I guess I go back to what my dad told me, what his advice when I didn't know what I wanted to do with my career, but I, I, I was in school. I was at the University of Arizona he said, just try, he said, just try different classes, take different classes, see what you like. And then over time, you're going to discover 
you know, what you're good at, what you enjoy doing. So if somebody wanted to take a career path in radio or I don't know, maybe anywhere, uh, but you, but you want to grow in your career. And if you have a desire to move into management or upper management, uh, I would just say, just absorb everything along the way. And, and, uh, you'd be surprised how everything that you do, you can, is, is a value because it's all part of your learning and growing experience. So I would just say, try different things, um, soak it all in, ask a lot of questions. Don't feel like you have to, you know, learn everything on your own. People like to mentor other people, you know, go to people for help. Um, I guess that would be my advice. Don't you feel like the best employees are not people who are experts, but people who are curious? I, I do. Absolutely. I, if somebody isn't curious, I, I don't know. They make me kind of nervous, to be honest with you. Right, right. It's, it's like, how could you not? I mean, there's some people that you ever notice there, you'll be with some people and they will never, ever ask you a question. Right. Um, now there's another guy I know that he doesn't stop asking me questions and he used to drive me crazy, but there's gotta be somewhere in there where you strike this balance of, of, I I think asking questions and being curious, I think is a very good quality to have. It is. So I'm going to do this only because I, I'm going to enjoy this for the fun of it. Do your on-air people, you mentioned you've got so many people, especially in the news department, do your on-air people know that you loved being on the air? Do they know that there's a part of you that would like to be them? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, we have a lot of new people these days. So I think a lot of our new employees, yeah, they, they don't know much about me, if anything. I mean, for years we had this, you know, a very, very steady staff of people, but, you know, with the pandemic, um, like a lot of places that, that really shook things up and changed things quite a bit. The, the staff does hear me twice a year during the fun drives. So um, <laughs> if they hear my voice, um, they know um, someone's asking for money. Um, oh, but yeah. I, I used to occasionally fill in to do a jazz shift. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know, maybe sometime I'll, I'll do that occasionally once again. Get those old college skills coming back into flair. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I've got to ask how you feel like you dealt with COVID-19. You know, we've all had, uh, what, 14 years of experience now in the last two years with COVID that we really never anticipated and don't mm-hmm. want to ever see again. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you feel like your team dealt with it? We had three goals through the pandemic, um, which I would argue is still in play. I don't think the pandemic is – somebody the other day said, oh, the pandemic's over. And I said, I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, you know, is it? it? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the question. Um, But we had three goals, and that was um, to keep everybody employed. Um, Nice goals. To keep everybody safe and healthy. Nice goals. And to keep our service going to the community. Right. And that's what we've been focused on. 
people work at home? Did they work in the office? What happened? Almost everybody's been working from home. We do have some of our new staff um, have to come into the office to host. You know, there's these two news magazines from NPR, mm-hmm. Morning Edition and All Things Considered. Absolutely. Those two shows are uh, more complicated technically. So the host of those programs have to come into the station and the producers come in. But virtually the rest of the staff has mostly worked from home. So uh, did you find fundraising to be challenging during this period? Well, um, talk about keeping you up at night. Yeah, I'll answer that question by saying fundraising from listeners was record breaking. But uh, business support is what took a huge hit. Sure. So fundraising broke records with our listeners because during COVID, you know how I said that listeners felt like, you know, we, we felt like friends or family to them. So they wanted to help us out, especially in a hard time, you know, like so a they pandemic. Knew. They knew. Yeah. So they really stepped up for us. And uh, thank goodness, because our business support was our business support. We were bringing in about $2.5 million a year for business support. And that got cut by a million dollars once the pandemic hit. Yeah, you take a million dollar shaving and see if you don't notice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You notice right away. Yeah. Well, listen, I I know that you will not be surprised that we are encouragers when you appear in a program called the Encouragers, the Radio Rally Podcast. Uh, you mentioned mentors a, a little while back in this conversation. Have you had a mentor, or maybe more than one mentor, that's changed you? And if so. Can you, uh, how did you get a mentor? Because some people will be like, how do you get a mentor? And how did they make a difference for you? My dad was really my mentor. Uh, Once I started my career and saw all the challenges that the personnel challenges in the workplace, like, you know, if you have a difficult boss and how to navigate that situation, Mm -hmm. um, so my dad was my dad was a psychiatrist, um, and so that that oh, really came, man. yeah. Um, so that really came in handy, I, I think, for me because you know I would talk to him, to him about some of the challenging relationships I would have at work, and he helped me to you know talk through those situations. Um, and then other mentors along the way. I mean, really, what I've learned is that as I've gotten older. I turn to help much more now than I did when I was starting out, even my twenties and even in my thirties, because I thought I knew everything, and I wanted to do, th- <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to do things my way, oh. and uh, just to quote Frank Sinatra, and um, you know, I that was really dumb, uh, and then later, much later, I realized. You know, if I ask questions, if I seek out help, if I've talked to people that uh, have done this before, I could learn a lot faster. Yes. And, and so, and by the way, I, yeah. I just want to relate to you right quick so you know what kind of idiot you're dealing with here on the other end of this conversation. Uh, I just had a conversation a couple of days ago about how when I was in my 20s and 30s, I, 
I really gave myself a lot of credit for knowing things that now I go, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. You know, I, as a matter of fact, the older I get, I feel like I know less. Yeah. Or at yes. least less for certain. And it's great that you have this attitude and that you can share this with other people too, right? Yeah, I, it's just, I know, it's kind of funny. I, I guess this is where they say, you know, youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I wish somebody would have pulled me aside, maybe a mentor if I had one, you know, besides right. my dad. Yeah. And said, look, you don't need to know everything. You know, if you, it's good to seek out help. People want to help. You know, people like to, you know, you'd ask them questions and ask for their advice. People are flattered by that. People like to um, be heard. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I wish I would have learned that lesson a long time ago. Oh boy, it would made like it would have made life a lot faster and a lot easier and a lot better, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would have. All right. So listen, what's the toughest part of your job? The hardest part of your job because you you now have worked yourself into a big job. I think the hardest part of the job is trying to find consensus among the staff. I think interesting. I think before the pandemic, when so much of our staff was, you know, as I had mentioned, they we'd been together as a team for a long time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we were seeing each other every day in the office, you know, that all, all changed with, we're taking everything for granted. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it was easy to kind of get everybody on the same page on a regular basis and move forward. There wasn't a lot of um, you know, disagreement, really, on direction. But after COVID hit and the Great Recession, uh, yeah. you know, took, took hold and bringing in new staff and diversifying our staff yeah. um, in, in a lot of different ways, it's like... I'll give you an example. Um, we had to make a decision about the future of our Seattle studios. And we could have stayed put um, in our studios, which are – that's where I am right now. We're about two blocks from the Space Needle. But the facility is way outdated and way too small for us. Mm. And so we found a new uh, location by Pipe Place Market it's really fantastic in a lot of ways. It, it looks out of the water, the mountains, the ferry boats, and it's going to be in the heart of the redevelopment of Seattle's waterfront. Mm. And, and also a neighboring, you know, with the Pike place market and all the, all the potential partnerships that we can really there. great place to be for you. Yeah. And you know, there's so much crossover between what happens at the market and happens at the radio station. Both have music, both focus on food. We have a, you know, food feature, both uh, talk about uh, arts and culture. So we just saw so many synergies between us and the marketplace. Anyway, with all of those positives, I still had a lot of staff members that did not want us to move forward with the uh, Pike Place Market Building, wanted us to stay put and really put um, more emphasis on, uh, on the staff and taking care of the staff's needs. And so they were not in favor of us moving. Um, so, you know, I had to make a decision. Um, my board was in alignment and I did have consensus with my board to move forward with the building, but I didn't with staff. And so 
that's tough. That's tough as um, as a leader, as a manager. Well, because you, you don't always get to do the popular calls, right? No, you know, you want consensus because if you have consensus, you have a clear runway forward. You know, you, you're yeah. not going to run into roadblocks. If you don't have consensus, you know, there you, you just don't have that willingness and that clear runway. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's just the way it is. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, I think COVID has just changed everybody's mindset. Um, and I think, um, you know, just trying to build a team and build unity is more difficult these days. Um, so uh, long story short, that's, that's the toughest part of my job right now is when I don't have consensus on a big issue, how do we still, how can we still successfully move forward? Well, I got to tell you, Joey, when I ask a really tough question of you, you can come back with a really tough answer. That is like a, that's like your big boy pants kind of thing to be concerned about because it is tough. And I do think that everybody's mindset, I mean, look how much has shifted in our psychology yeah. at all different levels. And, you know, some of us who lived through the, what now looks like, uh, ridiculously fabulous 20th century uh, look at the 21st century and go, hmm, I don't like this as much all the time. There's a lot of challenges over here, right? There's so many challenges. And, you know, mental health is a huge issue for people. Huge. Um, and, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I, I mean, my answers to questions are really more questions. Um, you know, it's like, how do we get through this? And, you know, I'm, uh, you know, how do we take care of our employees? I, I mean, you know, with the new location, I think that, um, part, part of, part of my answer too, is that, um, when you're in a leadership position, uh, you have to make decisions that are very much long-term thinking. Absolutely. I mean, I need to make a decision not for the next six months, but I'm, I'm making decisions for the station in five, 10, even 20 years from now. Well, because look, for, look, look at how many yeah. things can change in that period of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's so important to have a long range strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Or and, and, and to have a mission and, and to have values. Absolutely. And to know again, you know, that you're here, you know, to serve a community. Um, you're here to make the community a better place. You see why I put you on this podcast episode. You are, I'm going to call you Professor Joey now because, <laughs> because you are just taking us to class. So it's like we're all going to the University of Arizona together and we've got a really good professor. He's telling us all the things. And these are really the pinpoint values of what makes radio important and relevant. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything. Sorry. Your tower is not going to save you. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, honestly, for me, all these lessons happened really within like the last six years. Mm. You know, I wish I would have. But see, what it was is that the community saved the station. 
Right. So for me, it was a it was a life changing event. Well, because you yeah. had an experience that you had not had before, and it was so large that it left a permanent impression. Yeah, because a lot of it was that I knew from an intellectual point of view that serving the community, mission statement. Yeah, you know, right. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, fine, fine, mission, mission, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, oh, all right, I'm supposed to do this, or I, yeah, I think this is important. But I mean, at the same time, I was building as the program director a station that I was proud of. But Absolutely. still, a lot of it was more of an intellectual pursuit, you know, to build the station. But once we were saved, I mean, we were saved right. <laughs> by a community that cared it, about it, you. Then it became emotional. Yes. And, and when something hits you on an emotional level, it goes much deeper. It's just so good to talk to you. Look what you've got going for us here. Now you bring emotion into it. I feel like you're you preach on. That's all I got to say there. <laughs> so, so look, this is a great time to ask this question. And you're really the guy to bring this home. And it's a real heavy question. And I always like to let people off the hook first by saying there's no way that you know the answer to this question. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Because you know what? Based on some of your answers, you you might have the right questions to ask about this question. How do you see the future of radio? And I'm going to split it into two parts because you've worked both the commercial side and you've worked the non-commercial side. And you certainly probably have opinions about both. How do you see the future of radio? I think it is about our mission, and I think it's about our service, and I think it's about our relationship with the community. I think it's about being creative and focusing in on the content. Yes. Because, um, yes, radio listenership is going down about 1% a year. Um, I mean, that downward trend did pick up more speed during the pandemic because more people were at home using digital devices and accessing audio online more than ever before. Well, Joey, I, I'm going to point this out too. Uh, in in the near term future, I've already written this. I am releasing something about this subject, and it deals with compression of shares. You know, there are more distractions. There are more choices. There is more technology. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think that um, you know. we call it we call it the crossfade. And by right. crossfade, I mean, if you're looking at two graphs, you're looking at one, it's the radio graph and it's slowly ticking down. But yes. then you're looking at listening through digital uh, and all the different ways that stations can engage with their audiences digitally, you know, that graph is going up. Um, yes. The other thing is, I mean, we think about engaging our audience, not only on air, but, and online, but also in person and, Correct. and, and events is, has always been important to us. We've been doing events for 35 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the future is really focused on what it is that you're doing for the community. Right. You know, the music that you're playing, the news, the stories that you're covering, um, informing people, enlightening people, enriching people's lives. I, I so, think it's I think it's I think it's all centered there. 
So instead of focusing on the 1% that, you know, you say this 1% drop or, or whatever it is, focusing on relationship, focusing on what is the value of your brand and what are the values behind your brand, correct? Yes, exactly. Joey, I hope that you are going to stick around for substantial questions from our audience. Does that sound fair to you? I have to go in about five minutes, but I can stick around for another five. Oh, you know what? I think we can handle this in five minutes. So let me say a couple of things, and I'll have questions from our IM platform for you. Uh, you can get free resources to help your sellers with our encouraging sales success series inside the blog at RainmakerPathway.com at any time. We do encourage radio pros at all levels. Subscribe anytime to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast on Apple, Audible, Spotify. Spotify, almost anywhere you get your podcast, you can listen to our episodes in our very large and growing archive. And of course, you'll get our new episodes every week as we encourage radio pros at all levels. You will learn unexpected and valuable things, just like you have if you've listened to this. Um, I feel like I should have called maybe the podcast, wait for it, wait for it, <laughs> because there's always value that comes in every single episode. Now, Joey, uh, question number one here, I'm just reading this directly. Uh, I've not even read this question yet, so God help us that it be a good one. Uh, there have been so many cutbacks uh, and so much downsizing in commercial radio. What is it like in public radio, they're asking? Public radio has been pretty healthy. Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you know, I was talking about the pandemic yeah, as it's changed everything in the world. Yes. But, um, you know, our listener support uh, was was uh, very – listeners have been very generous to us through the pandemic. And that's really kept us alive. Um, yes. Business support has been down. And 50% of our business support comes from the performing arts. And so since the performing arts aren't <laughs> performing, performing as much. Right. Um, but um, I, I will tell you that we've had no layoffs throughout the pandemic. But I do know that uh, the other public radio stations in our market did have layoffs during the mm -hmm. pandemic. I'm going to say that they may – and I'm not – I'm not talking down anyone or anything, but I'm just speculating that they may not be as good a planner as you and your team. I'm just going to say, yeah, that. I, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it's the business, it's the loss of the business support that probably caused that to happen. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're a lean mean machine here. That's for, for certain. Well, it's just a good sign of a really good business in today's environment for sure. Listen to this question. I think this is really good because because you're a curious guy. So buckle up and get ready. Cause the next question is, did you ever want to run a television station? <laughs> um, well, believe it or not, I actually did work in television for a couple of years. Um, back in the day after MTV launched, Mm -hmm. So this tell you how old I am. So that was like right around 1984, 83. Two. Anyway, 81 okay. actually. August of Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm talking about 84 now when this happened. Okay. After MTV launched, local markets put on their own MTV stations. Oh, yes. 
So like there was a local MTV in LA and in San Francisco, there was one in Phoenix. And so I, uh, I was a VJ. And so I was on television every day um, in Phoenix. And then I was also carried on the satellite program network around the country. And then I went out to become the program director of that television station. It's called TV 61 in Phoenix. Um, and then I actually went to Reno, Nevada, and I put on another television station, music station in Reno that was called TV 55. So, um, yeah, I might have. You know, if it went that way, I probably would have been open to that. But Joey, um, you got I, all this yeah. experience. It's just really, you can paint a vivid picture for us, and we're grateful to have you as a guest. Yeah, just picture me with um, a mullet. And then you know what I look like during the MTV days. Joey does what it takes. If it takes a mullet, he grows one. Well, listen, listen, we do try to keep things to about an hour. I do want to thank uh, people for joining us every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the Radio Rally. Remember, if you know somebody you would like to hear as a guest on the Radio Rally, you can email me directly, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. We hope that you have a great week like we like to say at Rainmaker Pathway and on the Radio Rally. Once you have a radio station, you can get anything else you want if you need to know what that means call me i'd love to chat with you about it we want to thank our very special guest for this live event and podcast joey cohen who is fabulous with all this different experience if you if you need a mentor reach out because he he can be that guy for you uh we want to thank him for being our patient and giving guests and not hanging up when i said that last part a very special (laughs) thank you to joe kelly for producing the encouragers the radio rally podcast which will be available Available shortly. And thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing the podcast. Please do share the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast with others you know that are interested in growing their careers in audio and radio. They can subscribe for free on Apple, Audible, Spotify, and almost anywhere you get your podcast. Please remember this if you don't remember anything else that you heard during this event. Be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of the Radio Rally with the Encouragers, and good night.